About eight o'clock in the morning, we all roll outside, we put our kids at the playground and we'd stay outside pretty much all day going in for nap time and quiet time. And we would dream big because we don't do small talk. And so a lot of us started businesses from chatting at the playground. For me, it really just was, this is so good. Like having this motherhood mastermind is kind of what we called it, is so good. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Jessica Jackson, the host of the Thriving in Motherhood podcast. After spending years cycling between extreme survival mode from difficult pregnancies and unexpected health challenges and times of true thriving, Jessica has created tools to empower her and other mothers to create a life they want to live. Everything in life is a season, but when I heard Jessica's five steps to go from surviving to thriving and how to be okay with knowing you'll be at different stages at different points in life, I just had to bring her on to share her advice with all of you. As always, stick around till the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Jessica, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 111 to get the summary of those takeaways and grab our free family money values template. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. I absolutely love your podcast, Thriving in Motherhood. So tell everybody a little bit about you. Okay, so I am Jessica. I've got four kids. They are seven, five, three, and nine months. Oh, you've got your hands full. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. I homeschool and we live in Georgia now. We've been here since right before the pandemic started, so I don't feel super comfortable with the South, but we've moved all over. We lived on the West Coast, Midwest, East Coast, Connecticut, all in the last eight years. And then I have the Thriving in Motherhood podcast, which has really been my journey from surviving to thriving in the motherhood realm. What has kept you moving so much? Grad school and then academia. Gotcha. So we did grad school and then a postdoc at Yale and then professor down here in Georgia. Fantastic. What has it been like moving to a new state amid the pandemic? We moved probably about six months before it started. Okay. And so we had the benefit of like, as soon as we got here, I mean, we've moved so much. I was like, all right, guys, we're hitting up all the parks. We're making friends. Like we're not unpacking any boxes. We're just going to like integrate. So we had the blessing of being integrated and having been good friends before everybody shut down. That's a fantastic thing. So I didn't have that lonely experience that I think a lot of people have had. So this wasn't in our plan, but I got to ask you, what are your strategies for integrating and finding new friends? Because I have heard this from a lot of moms that it is difficult to make new friends as an adult. Yeah, I have been super, I have really good friends. And I would say, first of all, we let each other help each other. Mm. Like if I see a need, I help. And if I'm struggling, I let other people help me. And it just really quick gets past that. I also don't do small talk. (laughs) Like we just get past small talk. I don't talk about weather. I don't talk about clouds. I don't love talking about potty training. Like I want to know who you are. I want to know what gets you excited. And we're going to talk dreams. We're going to talk big. So probably those two things. What is your dream, Jessica? Oh, I just really love living life with my kids. And I love adventuring with them and being outside with them. My happy place is like mulching paths in the backyard and cargo biking. I've got this big bucket on the back of my bike. And I really want a family band. I play the fiddle. So I'm hoping I can raise my kids to do that. (laughs) Is the oldest playing any instruments yet? We got piano going on. Yep. Nice. That sounds super fun. Does your husband play any instruments? No. So I'm really relying on my kids to pull through for me here. (laughs) Get him a tambourine. He'll be fine. Yeah. So tell us about thriving in motherhood. How did that get started? 
Yeah. So it really started sitting at the playground with, we lived in this nice little tiny community of other grad school moms. And so about eight o'clock in the morning, we all roll outside, we put our kids at the playground and we'd stay outside pretty much all day going in for nap time and quiet time. And we would dream big because we don't do small talk. And so a lot of us started businesses from chatting at the playground. But for me, it really just was, this is so good. Like having this motherhood mastermind is what we called it is so good. And I wanted to take it to everyone, yeah, to more moms, because it is such a unique experience to be able to have that connection with other moms. But the other thing is that, and nobody around me knew this, but I was really struggling. I had postpartum depression that I didn't know. It went for four or five years before I was sitting in the seminar and they were just talking about these are the like, if one of these 10 things might be you, you probably should go meet with a mental health counselor. You might have some mental health things going on. And I was like all 10 things. Oh my gosh. And it was like, my world kind of stopped. And I was like, what? Life didn't have to be so hard because I'm like, we're just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I can get things done. I'm productive. I can soldier on. Everything's going to be fine. And so, but that was, but the podcast started before that. And so I think that the podcast was my way of saying, I need help. Mm. Can I talk to some other people and find out why I need help? So there you go. I was trying to fix my mental health problems, probably. (laughs) So anyone who's listening, there's so many similarities between our stories, right? Of like, I went over two years before I really got help. And it took an outside person saying like, these are the signs and me going, oh my God. (laughs) But I do think, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, especially because you talk to so many moms who are trying to go from struggling and surviving to really thriving. We've been told that motherhood is hard and that it's supposed to be hard. And so we struggle through things that don't have to be that way. Have you found that with other moms? Yeah, this was telling to me. So one of these counselors that I went to, I went to her twice and I was explaining my thoughts and she said, well, didn't you think it was going to be hard? Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, we did. It wasn't a good fit. And I was like, (laughs) well, my gut reaction was like, would you ask a lawyer that? Like if a lawyer was sitting here struggling, would you ask if they thought that was going to be hard? Like, that's not the point. Yeah. I am a mom. I have these kids. We're past that. And the reality is, is, no, I didn't really think about it being hard. And I don't think it has to be hard, harder than any other life experience in the sense that motherhood for me at this point, it has evolved to realize there are relationships. Relationships take work, Mm -hmm. but mental health has showed me it becomes hard when mental health is involved. Yes. But when we take mental health out of the picture, no, it's relationships. It's the work of relationships. And it's actually really awesome. Like it's a really great thing. Wow. I can't believe that counselor said that to you. That's that's horrible. Yeah, not a good fit. And it's true. Like, I don't think I expected it to be really hard either. I 100%. Yeah. Everyone listening has heard this story, but went to motherhood thinking I was going to breastfeed for like a year plus with both my kids. Neither of them would breastfeed. And with the first one, it was like a real personal hit, right? Like I had failed. I had done something wrong. And there were different people similar to your experience with that counselor who were like, well, you just have to power through. Like, you're just not trying hard enough. And I'm like, I've been to seven private lactation consultant visits and an ENT and like all these other people. It's just not working. And so (laughs) I do think that sometimes you find the wrong people. And that's hard with mental health too, is that sometimes there is that interview period where you have to go find somebody that works for you. And when you're in a place of postpartum depression or any kind of mental health struggle, you don't always have the energy to go keep searching for the right fit. And so How long did it take you to find someone that was a a good fit for you? Well, honestly, like I found someone, that person that was giving this presentation that there was a problem. I went to her and I was like, I think you might've been talking about me. Like, could we talk for a second? 
And I met with her about three times. We were moving. Like we were about to move again across the country. And so I met with her about three times and she introduced me to this concept of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. And those three sessions got me through. And so this other person that I went to, I was like, you know what? I think I've got enough to get going here. So I got lucky. I think it just happened to be, I didn't have a lot of options. I didn't have a lot of time. So I got my little gold nugget to get me through. So for those who don't know, can you explain what cognitive behavioral therapy is and maybe what some of those tools you used were? Yeah. So in a nutshell, it's this concept that what we think influences how we feel. And so when we start to become aware of our thoughts, we can choose if the thoughts are helpful or not, or if they're even reality. So what I discovered is I was thinking in distortions. There's a whole set of proven cognitive distortions. A common one is thinking that you should do something that should statement or black and white thinking that things have to be this way. And so what's really helpful is that just by becoming aware of my thoughts, I was able to say, oh, that's a distortion. That's a should statement. Then I could pick something that was a little more helpful to think about. Absolutely. And it's just been years of unraveling all of those things that were distortions in my thinking, <laughs> honestly that have freed me from life being harder than it needed to be. And mental health work takes some mental space. You're retraining thoughts, just like you mentioned. And so how did you balance doing that work, taking care of yourself, running, thriving in motherhood and raising your kids and moving, right? Because your husband's in grad school. (laughs) Yeah, multiple times. So what it really came down to is I'd be washing the dishes and all of a sudden I would notice I'm feeling like really irritated and I would catch that thought and I would take my wet hands on a wet paper and quick scribble the thought. That's how I would catch my thoughts, which is in my day. And then at night, I would just kind of be in the shower and I'd process those thoughts. And I would just think about it as I was going to bed and think, okay, is this true? Is this not? How can I think about this differently? And I would write a new story as I took a shower and I'd go to bed and start again the next day. Mm. How was your husband supporting you through this period of time? Oh, he's awesome. He's always been there. Now, he's the guy that's like, you need to take a nap, go take a nap. You need some space, go take some space. Yeah, he's great. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. My husband was the same and it makes all the difference, I feel, for any single moms out there or women who don't feel like they have that support. And I think it's always important. If you do feel like that, go find a friend, go find your motherhood mastermind, as you mentioned it, to like get the set support and ask for help. It's okay to do that. When you look at thriving in motherhood and where it started and where it is today, what are you most proud of in that evolution? Oh, that's a good question. I think for me, I thought I was going for thriving. It was just focusing like I am growing. So things are good. I am growing. So things are good. And what I realized is I'm aiming for something different. I'm aiming for soaring, which for me, it just stands for this idea that I am using my gifts and talents, my circle of influence and my family, but out in the world too. Mm -hmm. And that I, for me, I'm connected with God. That's important to me that we are adventuring as a family and that I can approach life as an adventure and that I've got time for the most important relationships in my life for my family, but also for my friends. Mm. That kind of evolved. I think the other thing that's been really, really powerful and most life-changing is identifying the five-step path from surviving to thriving. Mm. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think it applies to money too. Yeah. I was thinking about this. So the very first one is surviving. And I think with the pandemic, uh, a lot of people can relate to survival mode. Yeah. Your circumstances are bigger than you and you don't really know what to do to get out of it. The next step is re-entry. Now, re-entry is the one where you still think you're in survival mode, but you're not. You're trying to get out of survival mode. And it's like you put a seed in the ground, you bury it, and it's got to do that work of getting through. And it's a ton of work. So that's like when you're trying to get through the mountains and piles of laundry, or maybe you're trying to get back into the school routines and systems. Yeah. And it's like super overwhelming. Or, you know, you're trying to get back to the routines of, hey, I'm going to work outside of the home now, and everyone's got life inside the home. And how does that work? And I think we're all collectively... (laughs) 
as a society going through starting to go through reentry right now. We've had this yeah. pandemic. We've all been home. A lot of people are working from home in an abnormal way. A lot of moms have taken time out of the workforce. And so now that we're looking at our kids going back to in-person school and us possibly going back to work in the office, what are some things to pay attention to in the reentry phase? Because you said like a lot of us still think we're in survival mode at that point. How do we do the hard work through reentry? Yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, it's called reentry because, well, it got its name because after I had my second, I'd gotten super sick. I got a super bug in my colon and, and I'd go back to the hospital and fight for my life in four months. Oh, it took no. a long time for me to get better from that when I had the two-year-old and a newborn. And the reentry faves got its name because I felt like I was a, a rocket ship going through the atmosphere trying to land on Earth and I wasn't sure if I was going to burn up or not. So that's how reentry feels. <laughs> Maybe that you can relate to that. Yes. So the way that you get through it, honestly... I would say brain dump your lists. This isn't something that I normally do. I'm not a huge like just have big running lists, but it helps to get everything out of your head on paper as you're trying to evaluate, okay, now what can I let go of and what do I need to focus on? It's a way to visually see what your priorities are at that time. The other thing too with reentry is you've got to decide what balls you're going to drop. There's no way that anyone going through reentry can do all the things at all the time. I love to sit down with my husband when we're in survival mode, but also in reentry and say, okay, life is still bigger than us. So what are we going to choose not to do right now? What are we going to let go of? Is it going to be we're going to keep doing paper plates, even though we love the environment yeah. and we just need to for the survival of our family for a few weeks, even though we're like going green or whatever it may be. Or so, you know, we're going to shift the tasks. He's going to do the laundry because I can't handle it right now. There's too much going on. Or what can we let go of for our kids? So some of those basic things, just evaluating. And then the other thing is just that hope and that knowledge and that mindset of this is re-entry and it will end. And I'm going to get through it and I'm going to get caught up and it doesn't feel good, but it's short. And that's the beauty about re-entry. Survival mode, it's, it, you can last forever. You don't know. Sometimes those circumstances you can't control. Re-entry though, it's finite and you will make it. Yeah. It just feels really hot and scary. Okay. So it's hot and scary. We made it through. Yeah. How do we know when we're ready for the next phase? A lot of times, the thing about the next phase is that you can start to see signs. So the next phase is normalizing. Okay. Now, this is where you start creating these systems and routines and habits that are going to support you and your life. Now, each one of us needs different ones. And my having gone through this path dozens of times in the last few years with my own personal health challenges, with hard pregnancies, with moves, with crazy grad school experiences, I just feel like I'm constantly sliding up and down it. One of the things that I finally discovered is that, and this is really important as you're going back into to regular life is you've got to go slow to stick. This is not the time to be like, I am pulling out my art. And this is what I like to do. I think a lot of us do. I'm pulling out my organizational chart. And this is how we're going to run our entire life. Family, get on board. It's like, no, this month, we're going to figure out how we're going to wash the dishes. This month, we're going to figure out how we're going to get the kids out the door without losing shoes. <laughs> this month, we're going to figure out like, we're just going to start small and we're going to go slow to stick. We're going to let those victories Work on that one thing until it's easy and you don't have to think about it anymore and you're ready to add okay. the next thing. I love that. Go slow to stick. That's such a great like quick reminder one-liner as we're adding habits. And that's something we talk about here too a lot is that you can't create 15 new habits at once. Our brains won't let us do it. And so it's like one thing at a time, one, maybe two things if they're in very different parts of your life, but really focusing in. So we're normalizing. We're going slow. Set those habits. What happens next? Okay. This is exploring. And this is essential because so many moms get stuck in normalizing. And it's when you get stuck in normalizing, the joy dies and you feel like you lose yourself as a mom and you're just self-sacrificing. Like it's not a good, it's an exciting place to reach. It's not a good place to stay. And so the next phase is exploring. And that is where you're figuring out what brings you joy. What do you love? What do you want to add more of in your life? What do you want life to look like? This is what you talk a lot about, creating that life that you want to live. 
And it's a really fun phase. And it's one that you keep revisiting. Okay. And I think that's true too, right? Because sometimes our goal is what we want our life to look like changes over time based on what our interests are, based on what our kids need. And so that exploring is important. Okay. Step five. We're thriving. We made it. Thriving. <laughs> yeah. And this where, is does, where does soaring fit here? So I would say soaring is a mindset. Because the thing that's been so fun for me to realize is at first, I really was like survival mode felt like survival mode. And I felt like I was just totally dying. Whereas when I've reached this concept of soaring, I realized this path, it just describes my circumstances. It doesn't describe who I am. It doesn't describe how I am experiencing my life. It's just the circumstances. And that's also super important because the five-step path, there's nothing wrong with it. It just gives you hope and guidance and direction so you don't feel like I'm surviving forever or something's wrong with me. Like you might be normalizing and feel like I am something, I'm broken, something's wrong with me. I don't, I just am not cut out for being a mom when really you just get to move to the next fun phase of exploring. What are you and your husband implementing in your lives? What are you working towards? Yeah. So for me, exploring, (laughs) because we haven't had a lot of things to do financially, a lot of exploring for me has looked like we've learned how to build furniture. I've learned how to make shoes. I've learned how to like guard it. And, you know, so for us, exploring has been what can we do for free? That's awesome. Now, you know, as a couple, as we're looking at setting up our life, exploring looks like, okay, how can we convert a cargo trailer into a travel trailer so we can travel across the country with our family? And how can we, I don't know, just build more of this life together that we continue to love as our kids get older. And I think that's why exploring is so continual because our kids are constantly adding, like entering new phases. And so our family keeps evolving. It's really fun. And so let's talk about your financial journey for a second, because smart money moms, we can't get away without talking about money for a little while. You mentioned your husband was in grad school, you homeschool. What did your financial situation look like during that period of time? Yeah. So this is something that I'm really grateful for. I always grew up wanting to be a farmer's wife (laughs) and I had this, and like a pioneer. And so I had this idea. So it just... Coming into the existence, I thought I was born in the wrong century. And fortunately, pioneers don't need a lot of money. And so I was well set for grad school life. Who knew? (laughs) So what that looked like is in the best years of grad school, we were living on $1,700 a month. On our leanest years, we were living on $1,100 a month. I think as we were putting our paperwork together to buy our home, we realized that as a family of five, we had lived on $17,000 that year. Wow. And we did it without taking out any student loans. And... My husband was able to get assistantship, so we didn't have any debt. But what that meant is I was really good. Walmart, fortunately, did price matching back when we were doing grad school. They don't do that anymore. So I would, like, get all the coupons for the week or, like, all the, you know, sales. And I would go to Walmart and I'd be like, (laughs) this is the best deal on produce. And then we switched to all these permanently when Mm -hmm. Walmart did away with that. So it was basically spend as little money as possible, make what we need, and save. We did save. Actually, we saved quite a bit just by spending very little. So – You mentioned the price match. What are some other ways you saved money during that period of time? We didn't spend it. (laughs) I don't know if there's much of a secret to it. Like we just... But like your kids need clothes and food and housing. Like, So I would remake clothes. I would remake any of my clothes that didn't fit. I would like sew for them or we found all this like 50 cent sales, a goodwill. We lived by a really good one. So we'd do that. Mm -hmm. A friend and mine, like we learned how to sew our own clothes. We'd go to goodwill and buy sheets. And sew our own clothes. I mean, it's not glamorous, but, you know, but that's what we did. We did that now. And fortunately, we have a completely different money situation now. I think what really helped is that we never felt poor. We both came from good middle, upper middle class families. We always felt like we had enough. We always felt very content. And I think it's because we knew it was temporary, but we lived, even though we were living like very frugally because we had to, 
like we never felt poor and it was just, it was just a season. And so I think we lived around poverty, like our, we lived in government subsidized housing. And so that's when I learned what poverty looks like. And that's when I learned like, oh, that there's a culture to that. And that's really hard to get out of. Like if you don't have hope or don't have skills or don't, you know, like I grew up budgeting, I grew up learning how to save. I grew up learning how to invest. Like we grew up with, I feel like decent ideas about how to manage your money. And when you navigate poverty with that skill set, it's a totally different experience than when you don't have that hope. Right. When you've had the privilege to live in a different circumstance, when you have parents who expect you to get out of that circumstance, and then even just not living with bias, not living with all those things, obviously, that's, that's very different. But it's good. Often we hear about people who grew up in those middle class households that get put in a situation like you're talking about living on $1,100, $1,700 a month. They can't set those limits. And so I think that's funny that you always wanted to be a pioneer, farmer's wife, like that does fit. But it's not always that that easy for people to completely make those changes. And then you mentioned that now your financial situation is different, right? Your husband is out of grad school. What does he do for work now? He's a professor. Okay. And so is thriving in motherhood monetized? Yeah, it is. But it's just at the beginning. Well, that's fantastic. I expect great things. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so you, now you have income. And so that switch from real penny pinching to now having choice how has this changed you and your husband's discussions about money, how you spend money? What's that been like? Yeah, it's been interesting because after eight years of having a growing family and not spending money, we hit this point where we bought our home right away because we had been saving up for a down payment. So we were able to do that. And then one of the years that we've been in with full-time income, I was pregnant and you just, when I'm pregnant, life is over. Like I just am pregnant. That's it. <laughs> so we weren't having discussions about anything. We were just surviving. But then after that, it's been, okay, well, we have to buy a van. We're six people now. So we bought that with cash. That was a chunk of money. And okay, now everyone really does need clothes and Goodwill's not cutting it anymore. Like, so we're going to buy clothes and we're going to, so I feel like, honestly, it's just been like, okay, now we're just going to meet our needs and play catch up a little bit. And what was that change that Goodwill wasn't cutting it anymore? We moved and this Goodwill like truly doesn't have clothes. Oh, well, that that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So that was a big one. And then this place doesn't have thrift stores. I'm like, what? It's a college town. How does it not have thrift stores? But we just find different solutions. And How are you guys thinking about long-term goals, like retirement and saving up money for other goals? This has been hard. If I'm being perfectly honest, it's been hard. I'm the dreamer in the family. So I have all of these grandiose ideas. And my husband's like, I just want to be happy. And I'm thinking, okay, I can run with happy. I can do that. But it, it does make concrete money discussions hard. So we just sat down this week and realized, okay, we're setting some money goals for paying off our home. Mm -hmm. And we realized we really want to be able to retire early. And so we're trying to now just like equally pay off our mortgage and invest at the same rate so we can retire about the same time. And then after that, we're still working on aligning with bigger dreams. <laughs> And so what does retiring early mean for you? Are you talking 55? Are you talking 45? That's a good question. And that's what I keep asking my <laughs> husband who just wants to be happy. <laughs> Maybe 50s. Maybe 50s. Okay. We'll see. That's a good starting place. And I think that the specifics can come. Happy is actually a really good goal. And I think that sitting down, you know, we talk about, I don't know if you've heard our family money values episode, but talking about like, yeah. what does matters to you? What do you want your average day to look like? And then how do we just get closer and closer to that goal and make sure you have the security? I think that sometimes what we hear from people who retire early, especially the really early stories, you've all seen those media stories, right? The person who retires at 32, living on $30,000 a year, whatever it is. 
their life is good right now, but any shock to their system, it's very stressful, right? The market goes down or somebody gets sick and now it's a real stress. And so it's figuring out, okay, happy is good, but how do we make sure we're protecting that happy a little bit and making sure that we can withstand the shocks? Yes, that's so true. Well, and I think for us, we want to be well enough. I guess we do have more dreams. My (laughs) husband's grandfather, (laughs) we do. My husband's grandfather and grandmother were very wise financially. They invested well and they had lots of money. And what we've been able to see them do, and this is really what's important to my husband, his grandparents have been able to financially help so many people. Like they have a huge, there's like 90 people in their posterity, like children and grandchildren and cousins. And they've been able to financially help everyone. They've also been able to take their, this massive, like 80, 90 person family and rent a beautiful ginormous home every single summer for family reunions That's amazing. and take them all. And so we all go every summer and gather at these homes. And when we say retire early, I think that's kind of what my husband has in mind, that we've got enough to be very generous with everyone around us and be able to not only take care of ourselves, but take care of others. So yeah, $30,000 a year isn't going to work. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that's an amazing goal. And I think that comes back to once again, family money values of like, giving back and family and and generational wealth. And so you brought up your grandparents. So let's talk about what lessons do you want to teach your kids when it comes to money? The biggest one for me is I just want them to to feel that they can. Anything that they want is possible if we just get creative. And I think that's so important. The other thing is that I want to be very open with them about our finances and what it's like to have money in the real adult world. I feel like that's something that was money was not openly talked about in my home, still isn't. And so I want to be very transparent. Look, this is how much we make. This is how much it costs to live. Like this is what we have left over and this is what we're choosing to do with it. And just make that part of our, it's not a big deal. It's not a secret. It's just, this is how the world works. And you you know, you can work that system. Yeah. And I think that's another thing we get asked a lot is how transparent do we be, especially based on your situation. Like when you're in that kind of middle class that level, I think it's a little bit easier, but when you're really struggling or you're worried about your kids, like, asking if you're rich or comparing and things like that. People get a little squirrely about those conversations. And you definitely don't want to put adult stress on your kids, but you just want to be open with them. This is what it looks like. And and having those kind of problem solving open conversations, that's an amazing thing. Have you seen any of your kids' money personalities come out? It sounds like you and your husband are pretty good savers, but that doesn't always mean your kids are savers. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I have kids that really love money, that are constantly asking how they can earn money, that have a million ways that they want to spend their money. We are still, like I said, we've been in survival mode. We're getting our feet under us. So right now where we're at is I finally printed out a grid on the fridge so that every time they do a job, I can put a check in it. And I'm like, that's a dollar, you know, you're starting your dollars. So I don't know that we've set our kids up to really be able to spend their money yet which we're rapidly working on because their their list of wants is growing. <laughs> but it has also been able to say like, okay, you're saving right now, but what what's your priorities? And so they're every day they're like, okay, I'm going to buy this first and then I'm going to buy this and buy this. And then, well, no, no, actually I'm going to buy this first and then I'm going to buy this and then I'm going to buy this. So we'll see. I feel like I'm surprised though. I think it's going to be hard for me to watch my kids spend their money because I'm such a saver. It is hard. I think in like letting them make those mistakes – is really difficult because it's not always mistakes, right? Some people are spenders. And as long as they save some portion of their money, I think teaching them that a portion always has to go to savings is a good thing. But to us, it might look like a mistake, right? If it's a cheap toy or whatever, but they have to have that experience. Otherwise they go out into the world and they make them with much bigger amounts of money. <laughs> the mistakes will come. Yeah, And I think too, yeah. and I'm sure you, you have this experience with your kids and how you want to talk so openly with them is going on the journey with them, right? Like letting them know, you're learning too. You're setting your values 
and your goals and your priorities. And that this is just a journey we're always going to be on. That money's just part of our lives and it's part of how we reflect the life that we want. Starting at seven and below is an awesome time to start. So quick question for you. When we're in that survival reentry mode, there's a lot of worry from moms, at least in our community, that we're not living up to the mothers we're supposed to be, right? We come back to that should word that you were talking about. How do we heal that? How do we give ourselves permission to check some things off our list, to cross some things off our list? Yeah. So the the test that I love is when I start feeling that guilt, when I start getting trapped in that guilt or those should statements, I switch it and I say, okay, well, I would like to. So for example, you're feeling, I mean, what's a common thing in your community that's happening that moms are feeling bad about? Maybe just like, I'm not home for dinner more. Great. So I'm not home for dinner more. So then that question is, okay, I would like to be home for dinner more. I switch it. I would like to be home for dinner more. And then I think, is that true? Mm. No, actually, I'm tired and I'm totally escaping and I don't actually want to be home for dinner more. Okay. (laughs) Right. Like maybe, maybe that's a true feeling. Or maybe it's like, no, I know family dinner matters and it is super important to me. Like that is actually really important to me. And then what you do is you get out of place of, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And I'm feeling guilt to thinking, no, what do I actually want here? The thing about that that's so sad is that a should statements makes us think that we're making a moral decision and there's only one answer. The reality is like, you know what? I actually, I can't rearrange my schedules, but I'm going to make breakfast awesome. Breakfast is an awesome option. Or on the weekends, we're going to have a fancy dinner because I think that would be, I can be there on the weekends and it's going to be great. So it just puts you back in a place of power and choice. So anytime you start feeling like you're dropping the ball or you're not doing things well, or you should be doing things better or whatever, I would say, I would like to and evaluate that. I love that. And I love the idea of breakfast too. Breakfast is something we always do in our house. Sometimes I have recordings around dinner time. Our kids go to bed pretty early. And so sometimes I miss dinner. But we always do breakfast. And so that's just something we've thought about too. Of Like, okay, I always get time with them. It's just when does it fit in our schedule? But that goes strong. And how do we deal with what we perceive as judgment from other parents, other moms, or even our, our own parents? Because I think that our own parents have expectations of what we should be as parents. Yeah. Or I even felt like perceived, like they think I'm doing great. And I like assume that they're, (laughs) they think that I'm not, you know, like, so it can be nuanced. So I would say with the judgment, it's just getting, and this is something that takes a while, but as you can get used to thinking about the thoughts in your head and evaluating them, I think you also get more and more confident in who you are and what matters to you. You keep asking, I would like to enough. And you start to get to the root of your values. You start to get the root of what matters to you. And I've just started to think, you know what? I need to put the blinders on. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. And just starting to get really confident in who I am and what matters to me and what matters to my husband and what matters to our kids. And we just do that. And I think you talk a lot about creating a life that you want to live, creating a life that you love. It's you. What life do you want? What life do you love? And that's just such a unique journey. I think the more that we give each other permission, not just ourselves, but each other, and celebrate that we're all different, all of our families are going to look different. Like we're not going to compare. We're going to celebrate. That is going to go a long way. So I think as also like if we're feeling judged, chances are we might also be judging others. So I would start even just looking at what are your thoughts about the people around you and <laughs> see if you can start rewriting some of those stories. And you might find there's some kinder stories coming back about yourself too. Absolutely. And so you mentioned we're all unique families. I think we all have unique goals. But what are some habits you've built into your life, you and your your husband to get to that thriving stage? Yeah. So I'd say for me, I've gotten really good at just self-aware about, okay, what do I need to set myself up for success in the day? I loved reading Lazy Genius and Kendra Doubt. She talks about having an on-ramp to your day. 
Yes. But I thought about that. So first of all, just like being confident, like, okay, I need an on-ramp and that's going to look different every day, but I need an on-ramp. And so that's one. I would say another thing too, is we've gotten pretty clear on what our values are as a family. And we talk about those a lot and try and keep an alignment with that. Even down to my husband and I are staining the deck and he's like, is this something we should be hiring out? Or is this something that we should be doing? You know, like, and we're talking about, we're having these conversations, other thriving habits that are so important we have a regular planning meeting every Sunday night and we're getting on the same page. What are your big three for the week? What are my big three for the week? How can we support each other in that? What are the appointments? When do you need time by yourself? When do I need time by myself? I mean, that's just a very practical one. Oh yeah. Like if we're not doing that, we're not thriving. (laughs) And then finding, I feel like when we really hit thriving, it's because we're working, we've got things that we're doing to work as a family, but we're also being really intentional about our play. And that's where we're at right now is, okay, how do we want to be intentional about our play right now? Because our capacity is starting to come back to more normal levels. And with the pandemic too, like our opportunity for play has just increased exponentially as the world starts to open up and we're getting vaccinated and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to like, oh, that's right. Do you remember how we used to be the family that like went and did stuff on the weekends and like saw cool things? I forgot. It was like a dream. And so like trying to bring some of those things back also just, oh, it just feels so good. I loved that Kendra talked about play in her book and her like, and actually Brene Brown talks about it as well in a couple of her different things about how she's like, I'm not a person who plays, but we're all people who play. It just depends on what we define that as. I love that you guys are intentional about that time. What are some of your favorite ways to play as a family? Yeah, we love going outside. Everyone is happiest outside. So hiking, biking, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. And uh, hiking, I mean, we haven't lived near mountains in a really long time. So nature walking. We love like exploring. We're about to embark on like a 70 hour road trip this summer. Whoa. We'll see if it still feels like play at the end, but we're, <laughs> we're excited. And then we work like, I, I don't know. I'm a worker. I'm a work player. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like Brene Brown and my kids have followed suit in that. So we're, but we're also trying to bring in some other, I can feel like my play bucket's full and other people might not totally feel like their play bucket's full <laughs> after a good day in the yard. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, those are great things. And playing in the yard, I think that's what's been interesting for us is we also like to go places and do things. But the pandemic has been a reminder of all the ways we can play just where we are and get creative and spend time outside in our own space. It's been a good learning experience as well. So Jessica, for all the moms out there who are going through this reentry season that we're all facing, what advice do you have for them to make it through to normalizing, exploring and thriving? know that the path is integrated. There might be some days where you're like, I thought I was re-entry, but I'm totally in survival. <laughs> or <laughs> or even where you feel like you're stuck in that, I'm surviving. No, I'm in re-entry. No, I, I'm normalizing. And then like, boom, your legs just really quickly buckle underneath you as you get behind to get on the laundry and the dishes. And because you had a work meeting that you're, you know, you're just not used to doing all those things or kids are sick at school again, and you got to go get them. And I would just say it's, it is not an end goal. Thriving is not an end goal. As you have this in your mind, it's to help make things not scary anymore. One of the differences between an optimist and a pessimist is an optimist knows that things are finite and pessimist thinks that things are going to last forever. And oftentimes as mom, we get stuck thinking things are always going to be this way. And so I would just encourage you to just keep reminding yourself that things are not always going to be this way. This is temporary. The crazy is temporary and there is hope. And you can look ahead to start integrating those things. I wouldn't wait to start exploring. It's the dreams, the things that are excited, like have something to be excited about. If you have to have something to be excited about having been in survival mode a lot for a lot of different reasons, you have to have something to be excited about. So I would pick that 
and then just be graceful and just know it's temporary. Fantastic. Jessica, before we let you go, we have to have you try on the Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Yeah. What is one of your favorite motherhood stories? For me personally? For you personally. About me or my kids? Either one. Let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, my. What happened this week? It's all a blur. Okay, here's one that goes with the pandemic. My daughter, we were going back to church for the first time. We haven't been for a year and a half because I was pregnant first. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was really sick and I couldn't leave my house. I was just too sick. And then the pandemic happened right when I was like, maybe we can handle this. We went back and my two-year-old, who well, the world stopped for her when she was like two, she hasn't left her house. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go to this meeting. And she's like, and we've been watching it on TV. And so she, we got in the car and she's like, so are we going to watch the TV in the car? Like for her, there was no concept <laughs> that there was a place that you could go to in person. Like she, her world was like all on the TV. So I think... Motherhood story, I don't know. It's just this idea of seeing life through my kids' eyes. Mm. And there's a lot of those moments. Yeah. I saw a tweet the other day that somebody said like, said to their older kid, don't change the channel on your brother. And the kid said, what's a channel? <laughs> They're just like, oh my God, how do you not know what a channel is? Yeah, exactly. They'll only watch Netflix. So Jessica, where can people follow up with you? I know they're going to want to listen to your podcast, Thriving in Motherhood, but where else can they find you? Yeah. So you can find my website, thrivingandmotherhoodpodcast.com. I'm also on Instagram at thrivingandmotherhood.podcast. Fantastic. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a joy to be here. Mamas, I love getting to talk to Jessica, especially amidst what has been a difficult time of life for me. I truly appreciated her strategies and our shared focus on living true to yourself and your values as much as possible. If Jessica's steps to thriving resonated with you, I highly recommend checking out her Thriving in Motherhood planner and journal, which is linked in the show notes of this episode. But before you rush off back to your day, I've rounded up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Jessica for you to take into your own motherhood journey. Let's dive in. First, embrace the concept of slow to stick. So often we want new habits and behaviors to just appear overnight, and it doesn't work like that. Jessica's reminder that we need to normalize the phase of introducing new routines and habits slowly and with grace for ourselves is so needed. Create one habit at a time and allow time for you and everyone else's your family to adjust. Then celebrate the wins when they happen and course correct when needed. This is exactly what we talk about with budgeting. There's no one size fits all to healthy habits and you have to get started, but then be flexible enough to find what works for you. Second, catch your thoughts to change them. Cognitive behavior therapy is incredibly effective. If we want to change our habits, our thoughts about ourselves, our money behaviors, we have to get aware of how our thoughts are acting. Catch the thoughts of frustration while you're doing the dishes and pause to scribble it down or make a voice note to reflect on later. Then as Jessica said, you can question, is this frustration true? Could it be replaced with something else? And adjust that thought for next time. Staying aware of our thoughts is a practice and a muscle that we have to train, but taking control of what narratives we allow to play in our mind can lead to so much more joy and self-love. And finally, third, there is no prize for suffering through. If you're struggling, there is a mama out there who has struggled like that before or is struggling like that right now. Anxiety, depression, meal planning, challenging behaviors, getting your kids to actually eat healthy foods. So find your community and be brave enough to ask for help. When you choose to get that help, you will be able to show up for your family in a bigger way sooner, and more importantly to me, show up for yourself in a bigger way sooner. It's okay if it's hard, 
but maybe you don't have to do it alone. You're amazing, you're strong, and you've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Jessica again for coming on the show and sharing her tips for thriving in motherhood. You can find links to her podcast and planner as well as our free family money values template in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 111. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.